I'm not sure if you noticed today, but we have our elementary class in the service with us today on fifth Sundays. Uh, our elementary class that typically goes out for the sermon. They're joining us in the sanctuary today. Uh, so if you are one of that number, we want to say welcome. Uh, so glad to have the kids in the service today. Um, if y'all run out of paper, there's more like coloring sheets in the, in the lobby for your area. There's crayons out there. They all have clipboards, so more than likely everyone else, there'll be a drop clipboard or two in, in the sanctuary. But uh, we're just going to keep on going. We, we love it. Absolutely love it when kids are in the sanctuary and when babies are in the sanctuary. It's, it's a good sign of, of life and God's blessing. Um, and just so you know, if your kids are making noise, it's probably bothering you more than anyone else. Uh, we're just glad they're here. Uh, today, left my PowerPoint clicker. It's much better than last week when I left my Bible. So we're, we're <laughs> moving in the right direction. All right, so uh, today we are going to wrap up the book of 1 Timothy, and Paul, in writing this letter to Timothy, ends this letter, and he doesn't end it with, with like a sweetness and a nice soft landing, but Paul ends this letter, man, still throwing these, these convicting punches where it's like, oh man, that, that just hurt. Uh, so today, what we're going to be discussing is the idea of wealth. And wealth is a tricky thing because no one probably considers themselves wealthy here. Wealthy people are the people who make more than what you make. Uh, there was a pastor in New York. There's a pastor in New York who was doing a, a men's breakfast on, on the, uh, the seven deadly sins. And they were going through and they would do a, a series and they would talk about lust. They would talk about, they would talk about uh, murder. They talk about these different deadly sins. And while this pastor was preparing to talk about the issue of greed, his wife talked to him and said, listen, honey, like, don't be dis disappointed, but no one's going to show up for your talk on greed. And he w was kind of skeptical, but went ahead and went in. And sure enough, he was right. People showed up to talk about pride and wrath and lust, but no one showed up to talk about greedy. And he had this thought. He said, as a pastor, I've had people come to me and confess that they struggle with almost every kind of sin. Almost. I cannot recall anyone ever coming to me saying, you know, pastor, I really spend too much money on myself. And I think my greedy lust for money is harming my family and my soul and the people around me. Greed, he says hides itself from the victim. The money's God, its modus operandi, its, its normal ways of working includes the blindness of our own heart. So as we are talking about wealth and Paul's instructions to the wealthy, it's a very common temptation for the people in this room, for those of us in the room to say, well, he's talking about someone else. But the apostle Paul isn't talking to someone else. He's talking to you and I. If you are in this air-conditioned room and you parked your car in the parking lot, you're wealthy. You're wealthy. One of the things I always tell my students at school when we're talking about this idea of wealth is I always try and remind them, you live better than royalty, you go back 100 years, 150 years ago to the wealthiest monarch in the world and they did not live 
as well as you live today. They didn't have an H-E-B, we're here, everything is better. They didn't have, they didn't have water from the faucet. Most people like get a cup. Sometimes in my house, we just put our head underneath the sink to drink. But <laughs> my wife's like, no, we don't. Just one of us. Um, <laughs> but we, we have water we can drink from the sink. And I, we, we, we say that like it's so commonplace, but that is unheard of in the world. And it's unheard of because the world has never been as wealthy as we are today. You are in the top 1%. The poorest of us are in the top 1%. So when Paul is speaking to people who have wealth in 1 Timothy chapter 6, he's speaking to you and I. And we need to bend our ear to hear what the word of the Lord is saying to us. In this text, Paul gives us two warnings and two instructions. And two instructions. And so that's how we want to break the passage apart today. First of all, two warnings. We see this in verse 17. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17. The Apostle Paul writes this. Instruct those who are rich in the present age not to be arrogant or to set their hope on the uncertainty of wealth, but on God who richly provides us with all things to enjoy. The first warning that Paul gives to the wealthy is simple. His, his instruction, his warning is, do not be arrogant. Arrogance is this pride based on one's superiority or supposed superiority over others. And there is a warning against arrogance in regards to those who are wealthy that Paul is telling us not to be arrogant towards God. There is this, this danger whenever we become wealthy that we forget our dependence upon God. Do you remember the rich young ruler? The young man who comes to Jesus and says, Jesus, what, how do I inherit eternal life? How can I be saved? And Jesus said, this is what you need to do. Uh, you need to sell your wealth, give it to the poor, and then come and follow me. And that young man heard Jesus' command, and we are told that he turned around and he walked away sad. And Jesus said these words, It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Whenever I talk about that with the youth or, or students at school, I'll ask the question, who here wants to be rich? And you know how many hands go up? All of them. Every year I've asked that question. Every hand goes up. You know why? We all want to be rich. And then I'll go back to that verse and I say, but guys, Jesus said it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And in unison, it's almost like they're saying, that's a risk I'm willing to take. Because I'm going to be different. I'm not going to fall into those traps. Why is it harder for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven than a camel to go through the eye of a needle? Because when you get wealth and when you get so self-satisfied in your wealth, you get to a point where you don't realize your dependence and your need for God. 
one of my favorite Proverbs. It's in the book of Proverbs chapter 30, verses 8 through 9. It's the only prayer found in the entire book of Proverbs. The, 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 uh, the wise man says this, Give me neither poverty nor wealth. Feed me with the food that I need. Otherwise, I might have too much and deny you, saying, Who is the Lord? Or I might have nothing and steal, profaning the name of my God. What the author of the book of Proverbs realized is that when we get so much accrued, when we have so much wealth, we get to a point where we deny our Lord, saying, Who is the Lord? Why? Because we don't feel like we need him. Everything we need, we can get ourselves. But the book of Proverbs also says this in the book of Proverbs chapter 16, verse 18. That pride comes before destruction. And an arrogant spirit comes before the fall. The Apostle Paul is warning those of us who are wealthy not to be arrogant, not to put our hope in wealth. Why? Because he is protecting us from destruction. He is protecting us from the fall. The other warning is similar to the first. and simply this. where The Apostle Paul says, Do not put your hope on the uncertainty of wealth. Jesus in the book of Luke Luke chapter 12 is a great book if you want to do more reading about wealth, if you want to do more reading about how we approach wealth, I encourage you to read the book of Luke chapter 12. And Jesus uh, is approached by this young man, and the young man says, teacher, I want you to tell my brother to split the inheritance with me. And Jesus basically says, don't bring me into this. Uh, And he then tells him this parable. He says, watch out and be on guard against all greed because one's life is not in the abundance of possessions. I want you to notice what Jesus said here. Be on guard against all greed because one's life is not in the abundance of possessions. Do you know what Jesus connected there? He connected greed not with the size of your bank account, but Jesus connected greed with possessions. You might be saying, this passage isn't talking about me because I've got no money in my bank account. But at the same time, Jesus is saying oftentimes greed is not seen in your bank account, but is seen in the possessions that you have and the accruing of things. Because it's quite possible today to be money poor and things rich. Because we keep swiping the credit card and buying things that we can't afford, but lo and behold, we can still get a hold of them. And Jesus said, be on guard against all greed, because one's life is not in the abundance of his possessions. And then Jesus told this parable, a rich man's land was very productive, and he thought to himself, what should I do, since I don't have anywhere to store my crops? I will do this, he said. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones and store all my grain and all my goods there. Then I'll say to myself, you have many goods stored up for many years. Take it easy, eat, drink, and enjoy yourself. But God said to this man, you fool, this very night your life is demanded of you. 
and the things that you have prepared, whose will they be? And Jesus explains this parable. He said, this is how it is with the one who stores up treasure for himself, but is not rich towards God. Apostle Paul told us not to put our hope in the uncertainty of riches, but on God. It very well might be that you are accruing wealth, that your bank account is always on an upward trajectory. And it very well might be that this is a comfort for you. And it's like Jesus is saying here, you fool, stop. Don't you realize that life can throw you a curveball at any moment that you're not ready for? You might be accruing wealth and then your transmission goes out. You might be accruing wealth and then you find black mold in your house and you have to gut every wall and tear it out. You never know what life is going to throw at you. You might be accruing wealth and you lose your job. Some people in the history of America were accruing wealth and the banks collapsed. And there was no insurance on the money in your bank. We should not put our hope in wealth, but we put our hope in God. This is confirmed by Jesus' brother, his half-brother James. In James chapter 4, verses 13 through 17, James says this, Come now, you who say today or tomorrow, We'll travel to such and such a city, spend a year there and do business and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? Life is a vapor that appears for a while and then vanishes. Instead, you should say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this and that. But as it is, you boast in your arrogance and all such boasting is evil. If you put your hope in riches, you will be disappointed. The Apostle Paul explains why he gives those warnings. And he explains it in this way. He says, do not put your hope on the uncertainty of wealth, but on God who richly provides us with all things to enjoy. Why shouldn't we be arrogant? Why shouldn't we put our hope in wealth? The text tells us, you, as hard as you work and as, as careful as you thought things through, your wealth was provided to you by God. Who gave you that brain in your head and who put you in a station of life where there were opportunities? It was God. God provides all things for us, not only the material things we need to live, but it's our God who provided salvation for us. He just didn't provide material things. He provided all things for us. And I love what he says here is God who has richly provided us with all things. But what are we supposed to do with all those things? Enjoy it. We need to recognize that everything we have in this life is a gift from God. 
And in recognizing that it's a gift from God, enjoy it. Enjoy it. If God has given you wealth, you know what you should do with that wealth? Not beat yourself up because you're wealthy. Trust in God and enjoy your wealth. If God has given you a good family or a family at all, you know what you should do? Recognize that your family has been given to you by God. Whatever family God has given to you has been given to you by God. And what should you do with that family? You enjoy it. The job and the work that you have, whatever job it may be, has been given to you by God. Take joy in it. Christians should be a joyful people. Psalm 118 the favorite verse. It says, this is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and I will be glad in it. Christ Community Church, give thanks to God for all that he has given us, but also let us be a joyful people enjoying what he has given to us. I think there's also this other application for these warnings in that we need to ask ourselves. The question, am I putting my hope in wealth? Am I putting my hope in, in my own work, in my own ability? Or am I dependent upon God and his provision? It very well might be, and this is something I've heard a lot over the years. It very well might be that some people have, have this fear of going without. And... and, and you hear about their life story and it's like, well, man, I cannot kind of understand that. That They might have grown up in, in a family of, of financial uncertainty. That they didn't know where the next meal was going to come from. They didn't know if they were going to be able to make the rent and stay in the house that they were living in. And one of their responses to that, that history has been to have the attitude, that will never happen to me again. And so what happens is financial security becomes an idol. And guys, financial security is a responsible idol. But you know what? It's still an idol. It's still an idol. We have to, to look into our own heart and are we saying, am I putting my hope in my 401k and in my investments or am I putting my hope in the God who richly provides all things. Paul warns us not to be arrogant, not to put our hope in the uncertainty of wealth, but he also gives us two instructions in this passage. We see this in verses 18 and 19. They say, Instruct them to do what is good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and willing to share, storing up treasures for themselves as a good foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of what is truly life. What are Paul's instructions for those who are wealthy? Paul's first instruction to the wealthy is simple. Do good works. Instruct them to do what is good, to be rich in good 
works. Whenever we look at what Ephesians says, it says, For we are God's workmanship. We are created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has prepared ahead of time for us to do. This passage in Ephesians is for for all believers. God has good works prepared for you to do. If you're poor, if you're rich, he has good works for you to do. But it's also very true that many times when you look at people who have wealth, uh, they're wealthy for a reason. And oftentimes the reason they're wealthy is because they're really busy. And they're working really hard. There are other factors, of course, but that, those are some common factors. And I think the Apostle Paul, when he wrote this, would agree with this, that wealth and a busy schedule is not an exemption for good works. Wealth and a busy schedule is not an exemption for good works. If you are a Christian father, a busy schedule is not an exemption for you to not lead your family spiritually. If you have a demanding job, you're still called to be a part of a Christian community. If you, if you are busy all the time, now look at your calendar and every day has a hundred different things on it. And that's not even your to-do list. You're still called to approach your work. It's not just a place to make your wealth, but you're called to approach your work as a ministry and to be a witness for Christ wherever you are and with whatever you are doing. He just doesn't say, do good works. Probably should have changed my slide. But he says, be rich in good works. Let your works and your good works overflow within your life. If you look at your life today, would you, could you be able to say, yes, man, I am rich in good works. The next instruction Paul gives the wealthy is not only to be rich in good works, but it's also to be generous with the wealth that God has given them. In fact, the reason that God has given you wealth is not so that you can build your own kingdom. The reason God has given you wealth is not so you can increase the amount of stuff that you have. The reason God has given you wealth is so that you can be a blessing and so that you can help other people. In our Bible reading plan, our church Bible reading plan, are we in 2 Corinthians yet? I, I get confused because Neil and I record like in advance. But we are reading through 2 Corinthians. And 2 Corinthians talks a lot about generosity of the heart and how we are to give. And there was a church in Macedonia. The churches in Macedonia were going through a hard time. They, they were without. They were in need. And so Paul went to Corinth in order to take up a collection to help the church in Macedonia. And he says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 14 through 15. He says, At the present time, your surplus is available for their need, so that their abundance may in turn meet your need. Did you catch that? The reason God had given wealth to the church in Corinth is so that they could help other people in need. 
with the idea that one day Corinth, because there's uncertainty in riches, one day Corinth is going to be in need. And so he said at that time, other churches can come alongside of them and help them out. Your surplus is available for their need. What Paul is saying is that we need to be generous with what God has given us. As a church, uh, we don't have a benevolence fund. And this, this is not because we're cheap. Uh, this is not out of the philosophical reason. The reason our church doesn't have a benevolence fund at this moment is because one's not been needed. And, and as your pastor, this is something that, that I thank God of because of you. Because what we have seen over the past four years is that because we are a community and we are with one another and we are living life together, when a need arises, there's never been a need for a person to go to the church and say, can the church write me a check? Do you know Why? Because as the need arises, everyone else in the body of Christ sees the need and meets the need. Guys, do y'all realize how rare that is? Do you realize how beautiful that is? That, that there is an abundance of, of, of joy as a result of that. The security that people can have of trusting that, yes, God will provide and he does it through his church. So as your pastor, and I, and I get to hear these stories probably more than any of you do. And when I hear them, I'm oftentimes moved to tears because of how I see your generosity. And I think one of the reasons why we can do that and one of the reasons why many of you can do that is because you've created margin in your finances so that when a need arises, you're able to meet that need. There's a study that was out not too long ago, and I, I came across it. And it said 60% of Americans live paycheck to paycheck. 60% of Americans, that if they miss one paycheck, there are bills going unpaid that things are going to begin to fall apart after they miss one paycheck. And you might say, well, man, it looks like 60% of America is pretty poor. But that's not what the study said. Four in ten of the highest income workers face that same reality. 40% of the extremely wealthy in our country still live paycheck to paycheck. Because they are living in such a way, they are living beyond their means. If we are going to be a people who use our wealth to help one another, if we're going to be a church that says, you know what, we want to be a church that helps other church plants get started and other churches grow and develop and get on their feet. If we're going to be that type of church, we have to be a people that looks at our budget that looks at how we live our lives and we're going to say, we are going to live our lives in such a way that there is margin in order that we can be generous. Why are we going to live that way? Because Paul in 1 Timothy chapter 6 said, if you are wealthy, be generous. Be generous. 
And once again, he tells us why in verse 19. Why ought we to be generous? Why ought we share? Verse 19, because when we are generous, when we share, we store up treasure for ourselves as a good foundation for the coming age so that they can take hold of what is truly life. Isn't that interesting? Oftentimes when we think, man, we want to grab hold of what is truly life, it's living the high life. And we look to what society says is truly life, and it's all about status and wealth and what you're able to do with it. Whereas here, he's saying, take hold of what is truly life. That, that comes as not be saying, how much can I build my own kingdom, but how much can I give away? How much can I help other people? Because it shows a heart that's dependence on God. And when we are able to be freely giving what God has freely given us, we're holding on to him. We're holding on to Christ. This is a hard topic, isn't it? And my fear in, in preaching this topic is that there would be some people who need to hear this sermon on wealth and they're going to miss it because they're going to say, I'm not wealthy, that's someone else. But I also had this other fear that there were people who are busy and who are wealthy and who are living this way who are just going to feel the condemnation. And I don't want that. I don't want you to walk away from this sermon, sermon with me thinking that I'm saying that wealth is bad. One of the things I've learned over the years is that wealth really is, is relative. Uh, I might go... And I might drop $200 on a pair of shoes at Dillard's and I'll wear those shoes out. And it would be possible for me to look at the rich man down the road who's dropping thousands of dollars on a pair of boots and think, wow, how, how can he do that? But the reality is I probably spent more of the percentage of my income on that $200 pair of boots than that guy that spent thousands of dollars on his Wealth is relative in that way. The question is not how much you have in your bank account. The question is, is where is your heart? Where is your heart? Are you generous? Are you rich in good works? Are you putting your hope in God and not in your money? And if you're saying, Stephen, all this sermon has done is, is build up anxiety and worry in me because now I've got to look at my budget. <laughs> Not even look at my budget. I don't have a budget. I've got to make a budget so I can look at it. I think Jesus would answer it in this way in Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12, Jesus is talking about the subject. And after he talks about that man who is putting his hope in wealth and not going for the treasures of God, Jesus turns to his disciples he says this therefore I tell you do not worry do not worry about your life what you will eat about the body and what you will wear for life is more than food and the body more than clothing consider the ravens they don't sow or reap they don't have a storeroom or a barn yet God feeds them and aren't you worth so much more than those birds. Can you, can any of you add one moment to your lifespan by worrying? 
If then you're not able to do even a little thing, why worry about the rest? Consider the wildflowers of the field. Consider how they grow. They don't labor or spin thread. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all of his splendor was adorned like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass, which is in the field today and thrown into the furnace tomorrow, how much more will he do for you? You of little faith, don't strive for what you should eat or drink. And don't be anxious, for the Gentile world eagerly seeks after all these things. And your Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom And these things will be provided for you. And I love what Jesus says here. Do not be afraid, little flock, because your father delights to give you the kingdom. So he says, sell your possessions, give to the poor, make money bags for yourselves that won't grow old, an inexhaustible treasure in heaven where no thief comes near and no moth destroys Christ Community Church, when we approach wealth, man, Jesus is saying we can be generous and we can live with open hands, with enlarged hearts to be generous. He says, you don't have to be afraid. Why? Because you have a kingdom that rust will not destroy. You have a a kingdom where moths can't chew holes in it. It's secure. It's yours. So we are now able to live in faith, knowing that it is our God who richly provides for us. Let's stand and pray.